So, starting the Mission Edge journey, learning about what our Atlantic Baptist family calls a Mission Edge church on Sundays and then through small groups starting next Sunday. And all my hope and prayer in all of this is that this journey will benefit us in, in two main ways. I think I've got a slide for that one. There we go. Uh, first of all, that it would simply grow our understanding and appreciation of what church can and should be, which is never a bad thing to rethink about. And that second, that it would just give us a sense of God's leading in order to discern what our church will be about in the next season of its life together. And so to come back to it one more time, to that definition of what Mission Edge Church is, and it was said once in that video, but it's, it's defined as these communities of Jesus followers who align themselves around his continuing mission of sacrificial love, starting right within their neighborhoods and from there radiating his love to neighborhoods all around the world. Not certainly a bit much to remember. I don't expect anyone's going to memorize that one. But what's at the heart of it is this sense of being active in the mission of Jesus. It's continuing to look for the best way to show Christian love to people near and far. What it's not is just kind of carrying on doing the things that we're used to churches doing. It's, it's not refusing to venture into uncomfortable territory. I was having a conversation a number of years ago with a, a larger ministry or denominational leader. I, I don't remember exactly who it was anymore, but, but somewhere along the way, we were chatting about church life and ministry, and uh, I remember saying that, look, I'll, I'll always do my best to be faithful to whatever I sense God is asking me to do, but I'm pretty sure that I'm not cut out to be a palliative care pastor. And I didn't mean ministering to dying people, although I don't think I'm very well suited to that kind of ongoing chaplaincy work either. I mean, God bless those who do that day after day. Uh, what a, an incredible ministry that is. But what I meant was that I don't feel called to try and support and comfort a church that's on its way to death. Palliative care for a church, not a person. And there are pastors who do this. Like, that is actually a, a calling some pastors have where they, they go and they kind of help bring comfort and, and peace and, and closure to a church that's in the process of, of you know, closing down or shutting down. Because churches are born, and they go through different phases of life, and sometimes they die. It happens all the time. It's, it's natural. It's not always a bad thing. But I certainly did not get into full-time ministry with the intent of knowingly walking a congregation toward death. I mean, I think God would have to speak very loudly and clearly to me to get me to continue to serve a church that was content to let themselves go down that kind of path. And God forgive me if ever, in a time of discouragement or fatigue, I've ever stopped working toward life instead. And I'm not sharing that because Faith Baptist Church is dying or because it is in dire crisis in this moment. I share this because as we begin to take some new steps toward Four new steps forward, after we weathered the pandemic and everything that went along with that, we will be making choices from here on out that lead us toward renewed life, or they lead us toward eventual death. There really is no in-between. Where we are today, in the long run, is not a sustainable thing. Not in terms of the volunteer hours and leadership needed to do what we do and do it very well. And not in terms of the financial requirements of staying in a facility this large and expensive either. That can't be the forever plan if we stay as we are. And even if we could sustain the status quo forever, would we want to do that? Because don't we want to see our time and our effort and our giving and our faithfulness result in better showing God's love to our community? 
and welcoming more people who want to experience Jesus alongside us and going deeper in our own sense of fellowship and spiritual growth. Don't we want these children we've been dedicating, like we did last Sunday, grow up in a church that isn't just continuing to exist, but which shows them how wonderful life with Jesus can be and how good His church can be? So those are my kind of feelings about doing palliative care for churches. I'm not interested. And I sincerely hope that none of you are any more keen on being buried than I am about burying you. That's just not, I think, what we look forward to. And when we think about, especially if you've been here for a while, if you think about the number of things that God has seen Faith Baptist Church through, through periods of division and floods of this building and uncertainty about who would end up owning all of this and plenty more, Well, I can't imagine that that is what God has in mind. As one esteemed Atlantic Baptist scholar wanted everyone to remember, our future is as bright as the promises of God. So what is our way forward and how do we get there? And the how do we get there part, that is going to come in part through some of those small groups. And I encourage you, if you're not normally in one, but you could even for those four weeks, you're welcome to join right in. And then, of course, our day on March 25th, which you can come to whether or not you've been part of the small groups and whether or not you've caught every single one of the six mission marker messages. You can still come on out to that. Uh, so those, those are a bit more of the how do we get there side of this. But when it comes to what is the there that we'd like to get, that's what we look at exploring these mission markers for through these next number of Sundays. So for the remainder of today's message, we're going to dig into that first mission marker, which is about living the Jesus way. And we'll end with Jesus' teaching on discipleship in Luke's gospel to really just bring us home. And so the the full heading of this first mission marker is to living, er, living the Jesus way both when gathered and scattered. And the idea here, as we've heard a couple of times in a couple ways, is how the local church can act as a beating heart which contracts and expands, which draws blood to itself and then pushes that blood back out throughout the body, which are both steps are necessary in order to sustain life. And I imagine at times we've all been guilty at one point or another of kind of thinking of, you know, church as this place we go from time to time, as the gathering together portion of it. We think of being connected to church when we attend a service or a program, and then the rest of the time, well, we're kind of off on our own as, as free agents of some kind. But this idea of living the Jesus way challenges us to recognize that the church is not the church only when it gathers, but also when its people scatter out into their normal day-to-day lives. And so in that heart analogy, of course, we're the blood, and the church, like a beating heart, draws us in to renew us, to prepare us, And then it sends us out again to bring life to all the places that we go. And so as Greg Jones writes, coming together, we gather around Jesus in the practices of worship, learning, community, and preparation. And such gathering together around Jesus also renews, prepares, and then propels us to scatter outwardly with Jesus into our daily lives, to our families and our offices, and the factory floors, the classrooms, the hockey rinks, and baseball diamonds, and the theater groups. In all these places, we seek to join in what Jesus is doing as we serve as his hands and feet. So why is this gathering, scattering thing important here? It's because a church that only gathers is not living the Jesus way. Because it's not enough to to come together for teaching 
that then is not lived out at any point in the rest of our life. It's not enough to have a brief sense of community within a church building, but to not then care or invest in any of those relationships until the next week. It's not enough to have a moment of being moved in worship at 1045 on a Sunday morning and then never seek God's presence until we return to the sanctuary. The things we do when we gather are meant to help us be imitators of Jesus when we scatter. And Jesus came into our world as God in the flesh. And so as his followers, we then are meant to bring Jesus into other people's worlds, whichever worlds our regular lives take us into. Consider a couple passages just from the book of Ephesians, and there are plenty I could have chosen from. But in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, we read, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Or Ephesians 4, also verses 1 and 2, Therefore I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. So imitate Jesus. Live a life filled with love. Live a life worthy of your calling. Be humble, gentle, patient. These are things we're meant to practice when we're together because we want to be good at them when we scatter. We are the church when we go from here out into the world. So what does the world think about the church based on how we represent it? The scarier question is maybe how does the world think of the church based on how many people who claim to follow Jesus represent it? I don't think we're in the best of states at the moment with the broader sense of witness. And in some cases, that's just because the world is listening to some very loud and obnoxious voices and don't know normal Christians who gather and scatter with a desire to imitate Jesus. But that just makes it all the more important that we be those people so that someone's impression of what a Christian is isn't come from a talking head on the news or YouTube or whatever it is, but a real-life person who loves and follows Jesus as Savior and Lord. Because the Bible tells us there should be a lot of evidence to support our claim that we have faith in Jesus. If we look to the book of James now, chapter 2, where we read, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? What can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day, be warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself is not enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. So this mission marker, to live the Jesus way, gathered and scattered, is really about the attitude we have as disciples of Jesus and whether we're actually committed to living that out. Do we desire to be like Jesus? How are we showing it, both when we're together and when we're apart? Because goodness knows if we're not doing it when we're together, we're not likely to be doing it when we're apart. And if we apply this question to, or apply this idea to questions about our future as a church, the the question we should perhaps be chewing on as we start this process off is what it is we should be doing when we choose to gather that will most help us live the Jesus way when we scatter. 
are the things we do, the best things that we could do in order to be good imitators of Christ when we go out into our worlds? What would it look like for our church to do the best job that it can helping people live the Jesus way? So now let's, let's go back to those words of Jesus that Allison started us off with in Luke's gospel. And it was brief, so I'm going to read it through once again so it's front and center in our minds. And this is Jesus teaching a, a crowd as well as his own disciples. He said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must die themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? So let's back up a moment. This teaching comes after Jesus asks his followers this hugely important question, who do you think I am? Not who do other people think I am, who do you think I am? And it's Peter who boldly professes, you are the Messiah sent from God. You're not just a prophet, you're not John the Baptist, you're not someone from the past back again. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the, the anointed one, the Messiah sent from God. You're the Christ. And then Jesus warned his disciples that, that the road that they were headed down, if they continued to follow him, was not going to be an easy one. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. That's what Jesus tells them immediately before he explains what it means to follow him. And he says three things here about being a disciple, which is a learner or an apprentice. Starting with, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And the, the New Living Translation puts this well as well when it says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. So to deny yourself, to give up your own way, is about abandoning your agenda and choosing Jesus's instead. And it's daily. It's not a one-time decision. It's something that we need to choose over and over again. Today, I will put Jesus's way ahead of my way. Deny yourself does not mean you never get to do things you like again. It means that you will follow Jesus wherever he leads. And where Jesus leads, at times, will get uncomfortable because Jesus asks us to take up our cross. The cross was a symbol of guilt and suffering and rejection. It was not something that was spoken of in polite company in Jesus' day. But then Jesus turned it into our symbol of surrender and sacrifice and ultimately of hope. And so his followers identify with Jesus in these things. It's, it's not about us. And so we're willing to surrender our way for God's way, to sacrifice out of love for others, trusting that in all of this, God is with us, giving us eternal and abundant life. And that's the segue into the next thing Jesus says, which is whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. And reading this in light of what Jesus has just said, we see that what Jesus means is that the people who want to save their life are those who insist on doing things their way. That's how they think they're saving their life, by doing what they feel like, by getting to make their own rules and just do things however feels good to them. But Jesus says that's not saving your life, that's actually losing it. It's not how you thrive, and in fact, it will subject you 
to the judgment of the God that you've willfully rejected if you've made yourself God of your own life. And so instead, Jesus says, no, whoever loses his life for me will save it. And which is not about dying for your faith, not normally at least. It is about, again, denying yourself, choosing Jesus' way over your way. And you gain abundant and eternal life by submitting yourself to him. And then, of course, there's the famous concluding verse here. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self or their, their very soul in some translations? You might remember it. And isn't this a great verse to apply to other people? <laughs> it's just a, like you look at celebrities who have all this fame and money, but their personal lives are a mess, and we're like, yep, Jesus was right. Or you look at... You know, examples of big names in the business world, they've got ridiculous wealth and power, but they've sacrificed their relationships or they've corrupted their character in the pursuit of their goals. And we're like, yeah, Jesus was right. Look at that guy. But the point of this verse is not for us to use it to judge other people. It's to check on the state of our own souls, of our own very, our very selves. Because you don't have to be rich or famous or powerful to trade away your very self. All you have to do is keep pursuing your own interests first and foremost and ignore Jesus, and that is easy to do. Just refuse to live the Jesus way, and you're there. And so, and even if you're still engaging in religious stuff when it suits you, but steering clear of anything that you may not enjoy, <laughs> then, then we're still who Jesus is talking about here. That means all of us, at least some of the time, on any one of those days where we didn't take up our cross. So what good is it, we're asked, to feel comfortable because we've hoarded our resources but lose or forfeit our very self? What good is it to have ample time for leisure by not bothering to serve others but lose or forfeit your very self? What good is it to avoid embarrassment you might suffer by talking about your faith, by forging more intimate relationships with people who then see your imperfections and yet lose or forfeit your very self? What good is it to come to a church service and you know, check off that, that off the good person list for this week, but not live more committed to living the Jesus way and forfeit or lose your very self? Jesus' teaching here really just takes us into that big picture meaning of life territory, which is important to return to every once in a while. How often do we ask yourself, what's the best way to live my one and only life in this present world? Right? Is, is it chasing my desires and priorities, or is it giving myself to something greater, to my creator, God, and his son who came to seek and save the lost, like me? We all have to make our decision. Fundam that's the fundamental human decision, according to, you know, read the first few chapters of Genesis. Like, that was, that was the decision. Do you want to do things God's way or your own way? Jesus taught that the best way is to deny yourself and live his way, which leads to a deeper and richer life today and eternal life with God. And he says that the alternative leads to death. And I'm convinced that this is true. I had a moment this week where I was trying to do a better job with my own prayer life, just like I'd been talking about getting everyone to do in the month of January and into February, just trying to come back to God more intentionally and... Uh, and more often, because I was not personally feeling nearly as connected as I would like or as I thought I should. 
And as sometimes happens every once in a while to me, I don't know how everyone else experiences God's voice, but for me, when I think maybe that was God saying something, it's often in a quiet moment where a thought just enters fully formed into my mind that doesn't really feel like that was mine. That seems, like, that seems smarter than me. That seems like a much better insight than I would have come up with. So I was having that moment and I was kind of praying with God about feeling a little disconnected or feeling a little like I, I wasn't, wasn't in, the, in the place I, I wished I was in certain areas. And the, and the thought that formed in my mind was, was this, I have given you a good way. I've given you a good way. And that was a powerful thought for me because sometimes I am not at my emotional or spiritual best. Right? Sometimes I'm not as focused or as passionate as I would like to be. Sometimes I pray and I feel like I might as well be talking or thinking to myself because it doesn't seem like there's anything happening as a result of it. Sometimes doubt stalks my mind. But in all the ups and downs that I experience and which I think all honest believers experience, I've never wavered in believing that God has given me a good way to live and to be. The example of Jesus is such a good way. The call toward love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, the call to grace and forgiveness for us and for others, sacrificial love, hope for the future. God's way has shown and proven itself to be so good. So much of what I value in life, so many of the blessings that I've, come, I've gained have come from either my connection to Jesus-loving people or from my best efforts to follow God's good way. And so I'm grateful that Jesus has shown us a good way and that the Holy Spirit helps me walk it in my imperfect way. And the God describes, God, the Bible, sorry, describes the human condition awfully well. When you look at the troubles of this world, you see how much could immediately change if we would choose the way of Jesus. It both breaks my heart and reminds me of why I do want to do what I do. Because God has given me a good way, which is powerful evidence of His love for me. It's plenty of reason and desire to want to put His way ahead of my will and then share that with a world that needs to know that this is available to them. <clears throat> so God has given us a good way. What we do, gathered as a church, is meant to be an example of how good that way can be. As we come together with mutual love, with grace, encouraging each other, learning from each other, supporting those who are struggling in our midst in one way or another. And if we are disciples who deny ourselves and take up our crosses daily, then we will then scatter out into the world, continuing to live the Jesus way. We save our lives by submitting them. We find abundant life by sacrificing for others. We willingly give all that we can rather than trying to gain all that we can because that's how abundant and eternal life are actually found in the wonderful upside-down kingdom of Jesus. So let me put these three questions out now that I would love to stick in your minds and have rattle around in your brain for the next day or week or month as we wrap things up for this morning. The first question is that when I asked earlier, what is the best way to live my one and only life, right? And is that the path I'm on would be a good follow-up. What is the best way to live this my one and only life in this present world? Not talking about eternal life here. We're talking about in this body, in this world as it is today, you know, the, the one normal life we, uh, we expect. Second question, 
Are there areas in my life where I'm choosing my way over Jesus' way? To identify those areas that say, that's, yeah, that's not Jesus' way. And, and for one reason or another, I don't want to go there, or I refuse to go there, or I can't seem to get myself, even though I want to, to go there. Are there areas in my life where I'm choosing my way over Jesus' way? And the third question is a question for our church. How can our church's gatherings help us to be more like Jesus when we scatter? What do I want to come to that will help me live up to the calling God has given me when I go back out again? And I think answers to those questions will do a lot to help us lay the foundation of those two things I said I hoped that this Mission Edge journey would do for us which was to grow our understanding and appreciation of what church can and should be and to give us a sense of God's leading to discern what our church will be about in the next season of its life together. And that starts with how we see ourselves as disciples. And so may the words of Jesus go with us as we scatter, urging us to save our lives by losing them for him.